Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey everyone. Our other co-host, Owen, is actually at daycare right now, so he will not be joining us this week, so I imagine we just lost uh, a lot of potential listeners with that. I imagine everybody comes to hear Owen. Today we will be discussing Season 6, Episode 21, Happy Hour. In this episode, Oscar organizes a gathering, Michael has a split personality, and Dwight is in a conundrum. In this episode's cold open, we come into the middle of Michael doing push-ups. We have to assume there's some reason for this before we actually join uh, the episode. I'm going to guess that there's no reason for him doing it besides he probably just said, hey, look, I'm going to do some push-ups. Sure. Yeah. Good point. So Michael does, by Dwight's count, 25 push-ups and one girl push-up. And of course, Michael being, and since Michael always wants to feel like he is superior to And so since Michael always wants to feel like he is superior to everyone, he challenges the office to see if anybody can beat that number. And Meredith asks, what do we get if we win? And Michael at first says his respect. And then he says, whomever beats 25 push-ups can go home for the day. And that is because when he first said, you get all my respect and admiration, people are like, ugh, well, why should I bother trying? But the opportunity to head home right then really is a motivator. And seemingly, this is the most out-of-shape office uh, in America because apparently absolutely nobody can do 25 push-ups except for one person. That's a lot of push-ups, Curtis. That's not a lot of push-ups. I mean, if somebody that does even just a little bit of working out could probably do 25 push-ups. I do a little bit of working out, and I know I can't do 25 push-ups on my toes. Uh, I, I think you would surprise yourself. We're not going to do it right now for the purpose of this podcast. I'm just going to say I feel very <laughs> confident in my assessment. Once, and this was a while ago, it was when we lived at our previous house. It was like before we were going to bed, I challenged Curtis to some push-up competition. And obviously and clearly he won because I thought, I'm doing this body pump class. I'm feeling really strong. I bet that I can beat him. And that was very untrue. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) But the person who is most motivated to beat Michael's number is Stanley, who is always looking for a way to get out of work. Stanley truly powers through because by push-up 10, it appears that he's struggling a little bit. He's not doing a very smooth up and down, but he manages to get 16 more push-ups out at that sort of pace Granted, he's being very much encouraged on uh, by the rest of the office, starting with Phyllis. And when he completes his 26th push-up, he just gets up and basically just walks out of the office. Before we start the discussion of the main part of the episode, I just want to say this 
I I just want to say I was pleasantly surprised in the rewatch of this episode because there is one thing about this episode that sticks out in my mind, and that is Date Mike. Yeah. And he's it's awful. But this is a really, really good episode. Here's my theory on this episode. They needed to find a way to get Jenna Fisher involved, and Pam is still on maternity leave. And also, they really needed an ensemble episode after kind of wrapping up some storylines. So, for example, Joe is is gone the last episode was the new leads. They were focusing on the salesman and how the salesman versus the non-salesman. So it seems like they kind of needed a larger, we're all the office sort of episode. Quick question, and I don't think we have addressed this. Is there a real life reason that Jenna Fisher hasn't been in these episodes? No, it is purely because Pam's on maternity leave. In season eight... When Jenna Fisher actually has a baby in real life, she's gone much longer. It's very interesting that they were just like, yeah, you're not going to be in like three episodes. Yeah, I mean, she is on the phone for the previous episode. Yeah, I think even the, the that, previous two episodes. Yeah, but that's something they could just right. do. Like, hey, like if she was on a movie, like if she's doing a movie right now, they could just be like, hey call just do the read these two lines for us please right and so the this episode very cleverly focuses on relationships it it is done so in just kind of this secondary way because we kick off this episode checking back in with oscar and matt which was very very briefly touched on in the Christmas episode. And we see Oscar wanting to kind of keep his pursuit of Matt going, which, judging by the timeline, has now stalled for at least four months. Yeah, not not great as far as Oscar says he's trying to build momentum. And so we see Oscar show up at the office early to kind of create this opportunity to start a conversation with Matt. And he asks, do you have any plans tonight? And Matt's like, no, but if you hear something, you know, just let me know. And so after this, we see Oscar go into Daryl's office and be like, hey, you know what we haven't done in a while is a happy hour. Just everybody, the office, the warehouse, everybody together just going out and having some drinks. And Daryl pretty quickly sees right through this. Is like, we've never done that. And it's just like, hey, if you want to hang out with Matt, that's cool. Like, just be straight with me. And so soon the word spreads that there is going to be a happy hour get together after work that evening. And soon the word spreads that there is going to be a happy hour get together later that evening. Everyone is pretty enthusiastic about going to the happy hour. Now, unsurprisingly, Jim is not very enthusiastic. And he thinks that Pam is going to agree with that sentiment since she's been at home with the baby all day. However, Pam is super thrilled to be getting out of the house and being around adults. And somehow they conjure up a babysitter 
in pretty short notice. I mean, it could be a couple hours to a full work day. And they decide to come out. When Jim and Pam arrive at, they're at Sid and uh, Dexter's, which is supposed to be a play on, on Dave and Buster's. So when they arrive, Pam tells Jim that she's invited her friend Julie because she wants Julie to meet Michael. And Pam has been away for too long, clearly. And Jim sort of has that feeling because she's setting Michael up on a blind date here. And Jim is taking the tact, wow, this poor woman. And that seems fortuitous. Absolutely. But this is surprising, or maybe it isn't surprising. Michael hits it off with this woman from the very beginning. Because when there are no expectations and there is no spotlight on Michael, he's just a normal if not a little, like, dorky, goofy guy. Yeah, when Michael doesn't even realize that they are having this sort of double date, or the whole point in Jim asking Michael to play pool with them is so that Michael can get to know Julie, he does well with her. Once Jim admits to Michael, like, oh, well, Pam was right, you guys really do hit it off, Michael flips a switch and turns into a completely socially awkward weirdo that he calls Date Mike. I wouldn't even say he's socially awkward as much as he is misguided. Sure, and overly confident in all the wrong ways. Yes, Michael puts on this facade of this person that he thinks women like or women are drawn to. And he says he has learned this from watching multiple dating reality shows. And so he goes out to his car, he takes off his tie, he unbuttons maybe like one too many buttons, and he puts on a backwards Kangol hat and goes into date Mike mode and immediately just goes in And when he goes back into the building, he immediately is just, like you said, this kind of arrogant jerk type guy. He starts out by trying to be very suave about how he is hitting the pool ball and ends up hitting the ball at Pam and Julie. Then he's swinging around the pool stick in what he thinks is a very nonchalant, just very suave sort of way. This is, like like he said, he's watched these reality dating shows. He's focused mostly on the behavior of the losers. He's trying to adapt that to his dating persona. And it's just very over the top, which of course is Michael. At another point, he attempts to tie a cherry stem with his tongue, and that does not go well because it results in him choking and then spitting the whole cherry out on the ground. To cap it all off, he is doing an air guitar impression with the pool stick, if you will, while on his knees on the pool table, and that gets the attention of the bar manager and the security guard Because the bar manager says, unless he wants to spend $400 to refill the table, he needs to get off. Michael, trying to still be cool and, you know, devil may care, kind of spouts back something nonsensical to the manager, basically that he's not going to stop. And that's when the security guard comes and Michael's just like, hey, hey, you told on me? Like, what the hell? 
and then goes to confront the manager saying that you embarrassed my friends in front of me. And so it is at this point that we kind of see a role reversal. And it again shows that when Michael is just being a normal guy, he is somewhat affable and relatable. But the role of the slightly over-aggressive suitor is now played by the manager of the sports bar place that they are at. To me, this switches way too quickly. Yeah, for sure. Because she's still annoyed at this guy who is being a fool and has come over to confront her about the fact that she told him to knock it off, basically. I just think it's that Michael's actions and reactions in this conversation are so disarming that she very quickly realizes, like, okay, this guy's just being a dork. Like, he's he is absolutely not the person that he is trying to be playing air guitar on a pool table and talking back to security guards. Like, Michael just goes into like when the manager introduces herself as the manager Michael is like oh yeah well I'm also a manager and I'm I'm writing a book about being a good manager and it's called somehow I manage and on the cover it'll be a picture of me shrugging my shoulders with my sleeves rolled up and like that is just it's just so silly that the manager immediately is just like okay this is kind of charming yeah, exactly. Like, it's sort of weird that she's very charmed by this. So what she ends up doing, and I don't think we learn her name this episode, but her name's Donna. We She does show up in subsequent episodes. What she ends up doing is taking Michael's business card out of the fishbowl that is the drawing for a lunch raffle and saying, you won come get your free lunch, come when I'm working. Like, basically trying to kind of set up a date with him. So at the end of the night, when everyone is leaving, Jim and Pam are walking out, and Julie has left at this point, long ago, by the way. Pam tries to save face here and say that that's not usually how Michael is, but she really can't come up with anything resembling a reasonable explanation about how he normally is. And so Julie just decides that's the point that she's going to leave. As they're walking out, Michael says to Jim, like, this was a great night, hit it off with this woman. And Jim thinks that he is absolutely deluded because it did not go well with Julie, not realizing that Michael and Donna have struck up some sort of chemistry, let's say. I, I want to say that you would think Michael would learn something from this night, but I, I think he only maybe half realizes what happened because yeah. at the very beginning, I, he, I don't think he realizes how well he was doing with Julie because he wasn't trying to impress her or anything like that. And it wasn't until he found out he was on a date that he really did try to impress her and it failed miserably. Yeah, he was just making conversation. He was just 
being his himself, which sometimes isn't the best for Michael, but it was working in this situation. It was just lighthearted, fun, a game of pool amongst friends, and he was getting to know this woman. And then because he sort of makes relationships so pressured filled because he really wants one, he wants it to work out, it just all went south. And so I think while we had this discussion here, I've just now realized why he won't learn anything from this. He, because when he was again himself while talking to Donna, he was still doing it under the guise of date Mike. Like he was still in date Mike mode because even as he is talking to Donna and she is flirting with him and he's probably unknowingly flirting back. He is still like waving at Julie. Yeah. When she is still there as in it's like, Hey, this is going great. I'm, I'm taking care of everything. Still kind of trying to impress Julie probably. Yeah. And so all the disarming things that Michael is doing in being himself, he is still doing it as date Mike kind of. That's a good point. One of the other relationships that we see featured in this episode is a new one, and that is that of Andy and Aaron. Now, if you thought that just because Andy and Aaron have now shared their feelings with each other and agreed that they are in a dating relationship, that they would stop being weirdos, you are incorrect. Very mistaken. And it starts with their first interaction of this episode. Because Andy explains that they're trying to keep it low-key because it's you know new and fragile and they don't want any drama and they don't want any attention on it. Which, very understandable. I get that part. Sure. And so the way that they sort of try to, quote, throw the scent is that <laughs> Andy is very rude and short with Aaron as he's asking her to send a fax and then he whispers to ask if she's going to the happy hour and then Aaron's response is talk to me like that again and I'll tear your face off so they're just being just super weird because the camera pans to Jim and he's just like okay then when they're at the happy hour, every time that they're sort of hatching their plan to not be seen together or amending the plan or figuring out what to do, they're being together. <laughs> like in sort of close proximity, talking with each other. And no one is really thinking about it, bothered by it. And it's one of these situations where someone is not thinking about you as much as you're thinking about them thinking about you. For sure. And so the rest of the times are just very, very over-the-top silly things. For example, we see... we Andy and Aaron walk up on Ryan and Kelly, another office relationship, playing Dance Dance Revolution together. And Ryan and Kelly are like holding hands as they're doing this. And Aaron and Andy are both like man that looks like a whole lot of fun and they do this joking thing of like man what if they saw us playing this together and they play out this scenario that people would be talking about them playing this game together and so Andy's like 
All right, so to avoid that, how about I play this game and then you go play this game over here and then we'll switch. To me, this is kind of a slight level of crazy on Andy's part because he did the Secret Santa gift for Aaron. That's the 12 days of Christmas. So that was in front of everybody at the office. He also, not that he publicly declared that he liked Aaron on Valentine's Day, but he made it clear to Kelly that it wasn't her that he had romantic feelings for. It was somebody else, which process of elimination, most likely it's going to be Aaron because the other the other person would have been Meredith. In another effort to throw off the scent, if you will, Andy says he has a plan and just to kind of follow his lead. So Andy goes and talks to just some random woman and acts like he's hitting on her. And Aaron, who as we have seen, doesn't pick up on social cues very well, goes and starts hitting on a guy, but does so very sexually and kind of over the top. And Andy, meanwhile, in the time that we see, was just like, hey, I don't normally do this, but I'm just talk like just pretending to talk to you to make it seem like I'm hitting on you <laughs> because I'm trying to make it seem like I don't like this person. And so when Andy sees Aaron, like, groping this guy, basically, he goes over to her and, like, they go into a photo booth and just start arguing, essentially. And the photo booth just starts randomly taking pictures of them, which, of course, isn't actually a thing. And so later in the episode, we see Andy, like, holding the photos of their argument he's like this is not how i want my relationship with aaron to start and so he goes and gets on the pa system and announces to everyone that he and aaron are dating and so that's pretty much it for that that storyline yes so now that they they are public with their relationship and their relationship uh really does carry forward in fits and starts nearly to the end of the series at least through you know season eight as i've said i i hate that part of this storyline yeah just because they seemingly are the two most compatible people on the show and they're the one couple in the entire office that they're like the writers are like no we're not gonna let them get together finally in this episode we also get a check-in on the you can call it a relationship between Dwight and Angela. We really don't see much between them in this episode or in any of the previous episodes since they signed their love contract. Not a love contract. Yes, you know what I mean, though. Yeah. But in this episode, we see the conflict that is going to occur with contractual obligations of a relationship between the two of them because Pam in addition to inviting Julie seemingly has also invited Isabel her cousin and we have seen interactions between Isabel and Dwight before but those seem to be ramped up in this episode yeah I guess what bothers me is I don't think that Isabel 
would be as interested in Dwight as as she seems to be because he blew her off at the wedding after taking her back to his hotel room the night before and then acting like he didn't know her the at the actual wedding. And now she's just like fawning over herself because she happened to see him at Jim and Pam's house when she was dropping off food after Pam had the baby. The heart wants what the heart wants, Antoinette. I guess. I just... <laughs> We've all been there, but just be a little more self-respecting. We all are so interested in the person that just treats us like garbage sometimes. I guess so. <laughs> what Are you trying to say something about <laughs> not, our relationship here? Not at all. Until you find your person, you are often chasing the wrong person. Seeing Isabel is kind of a welcome surprise for Dwight, who is listening to kind of a boring story, maybe by Angela, who seemingly now is more than happy to hang out with Dwight. Angela's personality is taking a little bit of a turn here, I would say. Yeah, she is not as cold in this episode as she has been in basically the entire series to this point. And so as Dwight is flirting with Isabel and they are really hitting it off, Angela is trying to run interference. Yes, Angela definitely recognizes Isabel as a threat to this contract to conceive a child, which I'm not sure if Angela feels is a sort of pathway back to a relationship with Dwight, or she just really wants that to come to fruition. Now, Dwight, as he's describing to the camera all the attributes that Isabel has and all the advantages that she has over Angela kind of just sounds like he would like a child doesn't really matter with who he just is naming the fact that Isabel is taller she has wider birthing hips she has longer childbearing years left but he's contractually obligated to conceive a child with Angela so when none of Angela's efforts keep Dwight from continuing his flirting with Isabel, Angela pulls out the trump card and she tells Isabel that Dwight is contractually obligated to have a child with Angela. Or at least she tries to in this instance. Dwight kind of like whisks Angela away before Isabel can hear all of these things. And so Angela takes even more drastic measures and somehow at, I don't know, let's call it 7.30 at night, goes and gets a court summons. Yeah, I mean, she could have just printed off a blank summons for small claims court. Not really sure how, how that's working, but she tells Dwight that she will see him in small claims court. And as Angela is trying to kind of tell Isabel, like, back off, Dwight's trying to, you know, shield Isabel from this. And Isabel just whacks her on the head because Dwight and Isabel were earlier playing whack-a-mole and Isabel is just seeing Angela as sort of an annoyance here. I honestly cannot remember if we see Isabel again after this episode. 
If we do, maybe it's one more time. I will just say this Dwight Isabel thing doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, that's kind of a weird place for this to just end and then they transition to Dwight and Angela trying to have a child. Well, Dwight and Angela end up having to like hammer out their contract with an attorney who rightfully points out that this is uh, an unconscionable contract, so it's not a actual contract. Gotcha. So that basically wraps up this episode. Let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode. So this episode was written by BJ Novak, and if you recall, when Michael is talking to Donna, the manager of the sports bar, Donna says that Michael should read Lee Iacocca's book about managing. It'll make him want to go out and buy a Chrysler. Well, B.J. Novak's father was a ghostwriter and actually ghost wrote that book. Interesting. And that's all that I have. This is actually a pretty well-received episode. Curtis, do you have any firings? Yes, we lose Kevin this episode for a number of reasons. The first instance in which Kevin gets fired in this episode is during an interstitial with Aaron and Andy. They are in the conference room talking about how they don't want people in the office to know they are dating. And they are doing it with their backs to the window that looks out into the office at large. And we hear, as they are talking, knocking on the window and so they open up the blinds and Kevin is there doing air humping motions he does the finger in the okay sign (laughs) motions just a lot of inappropriate things yeah a lot of weird innuendo type things and then later in the episode when Pam first makes her appearance and her and Jim are walking into the bar Kevin is there and he's like, oh my God, I'm so happy to see you. I've missed you so much. And then he just starts doing like baby whales. And then he says to the camera that when recently pregnant women, when new moms hear babies crying, milk fills in their breasts and then there's leakage. And so Kevin apparently just really wants to see that from Pam. Yeah, which is super weird and that's not entirely accurate on how that works I have to give Pam some props here I think we can assume that Cece is still a newborn and wouldn't have very much of sort of a set schedule and might just be eating on demand and she seems to be out for a couple hours without incident so kudos to her Yeah, we see Kevin do this again, and the first time that we see Kevin, he's just, like, being weird. And Pam's just, like, just looks at him, like, why are you crying like a baby? And then at another point, Kevin, like, legit just right into Pam's breasts is wailing like a baby. In the middle of the sports bar, it is just very bizarre and weird yeah and so this is probably the beginning of if it hasn't started before this and so this is kind of the beginning of if it hasn't started before this 
Kevin falling into the trope I have talked about before where they just make dumb characters even dumber to make them more funny. And so Kevin at this point is just like a dumb perv, basically. Yeah, it's not a great look. It's just weird. It is Kevin's third firing this season. It's his eighth overall. Antoinette, what is your Dundee for this episode? My Dundee is the red flag alert, and it goes to Aaron and Andy's relationship. Just because Andy is so insistent that he doesn't want people to know. He's kind of being middle school about it, I would say. Like, he doesn't want anyone to know. To the point where he's accusing Aaron of telling people. And then he keeps insisting that he doesn't want drama. He doesn't want drama. But then he finally admits that he's a drama queen. And if I were Aaron, I would just be like, yeah, this is this is too much already. That's a really good point because... And it's something I, I guess I didn't even think about until just now... Like, Erin isn't exactly enthusiastic about going along with this. Yeah. She's just kind of being like, oh, okay, that's that's what you want? Okay, sure. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Yeah, and maybe this is sort of the seed planting for some of the issues that'll pop up in their relationship where Andy, I don't want to say controlling, but is just so, um, can be overwhelming, I guess, in his personality. And is just driving the bus of their relationship in just weird direction. What is your Dundee? The Fool Me Once Award goes to Pam because for some reason she's trying to set up Michael with another one of her acquaintances. Yeah. Because we have seen this not just once with Pam's landlady, but twice with her mom. Yeah, I don't know why why Pam would have thought this was a good idea. Pam had a front row seat to Michael being an asshole to somebody she has a relationship with, in this case, a very close one, and still was just like, hmm, you know what? That guy deserves love, and I want I want him to find it, and I'm going to try and help him. Yeah, that is a very good point. Who is your employee of the month for ep- this episode? I chose Oscar just because he put together a night seemingly kind of on the fly that everyone came to and seemed to enjoy. What about you? I have Oscar as well for that same reason, but also because, in my opinion, he has the line of the episode in the cold open when Stanley is doing the push-ups and Oscar says to the camera, this is like one of those situations where a mother gathers the strength to lift a car off of a her her newborn child or something like that. Or baby, yeah. Yeah. So that does it for this week's episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates and continue listening to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment in order to keep getting our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.